This episode, we talk about the Republican National Convention and what I thought were some of the biggest takeaways. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. So last week was the Republican National Convention, and it was the Republicans' turn to make their case to the country about why they think that Donald Trump deserves to be reelected to four more years as president of the United States. When it comes to the policies that were proposed, obviously as a conservative, I agree with most of those policies, but I just wanted to go through some very specific parts of the convention that I think are worth talking about. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going through all of the speeches because there's plenty of people doing that, but there are kind of particular areas and speakers that I want to focus on talking about. So the first thing that I found really interesting was that critics of the convention accused Republicans of being very dark and divisive. And this, of course, is something that we've been hearing a lot, you know, when it comes to Trump. We heard it a lot when it came to his 4th of July address at Mount Rushmore that everything, you know, all the speeches, everything are very dark, very divisive. I did find that criticism to be a little bit rich, considering that the Democrats spent four days telling people that their lives literally depended on voting Trump out of office. So I found that a little bit interesting. But I didn't really find it dark and divisive at all. I thought that it was actually very uplifting. There were a lot of speakers who talked about how they were able to pull themselves up out of poverty and out of really difficult situations by working hard and making good choices and just really never giving up. And I thought that a lot of the speakers offered that really positive view of America that I think that conservatism really espouses. I guess what the critics were referring to as a dark aspect of the convention was the fact that Republicans did talk a lot about the violent riots and the unrest that we have seen across the country over the last several months. And I think it was obviously not a cheerful part of the convention, but I think it was really important for Republicans to address it. This is a problem that is happening in our country. It is a big story. It's a big deal. And people, you know, Americans are seeing this play out on the internet, on their television screens and in their neighborhoods. And the Democrats the week prior completely ignored the violence at their convention. They never talked about it. And so I think it was important for Republicans to address it. And I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. But I want to start off by talking about some of the speakers that were really great at the convention. There were several black Americans who spoke at the convention. And these are men and women from both sides of the political aisle. Some of them were registered Democrats. Some of them were elected Democratic officials who spoke at the convention in support of Donald Trump. Some of the speakers who are black Americans are Senator Tim Scott, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, former NFL players Jack Brewer and Herschel Walker, Alice Johnson, who is a woman that Donald Trump helped to get out of prison alongside Kim Kardashian through criminal justice reform a little while ago, Jerron Smith, who works for Trump, Stasia Brightman, who's just an average American talking about her story, Vernon Jones, Kim Klasik, who is running for Congress, and Burgess Owens just were some of the names of black Americans who spoke at the convention. What I noticed very quickly throughout the convention last week was that these people, these Americans, were viciously attacked 
in the media and on social media by people on the left in this country. Tiffany D. Cross on MSNBC called it a modern day minstrel show. Another guest on MSNBC named Ellie Mistel, I believe, said the GOP was practicing tokenism with these Americans speaking out. This same Ellie Mistel wrote for The Nation an article entitled, We Need to Talk About the GOP's, quote, Black Friends. Joy Reid on MSNBC said the GOP trotted out black people to make whites feel good about voting for white supremacy. These are not just random folks on social media who could or could not be bots. These are mainstream figures on a mainstream American news network. When you did scroll through the comments on social media, though, they were quite sickening. These Americans were called every racist name in the book. They were called the N-word. They were called the C-word. They were called Uncle Tom's. In fact, I believe that Uncle Tom was actually trending on Twitter at one point during the convention. And... It was just really sickening. I mean, this is racist, you know? I mean, if anybody on the right would use any of those terminologies to speak about a black American who spoke at the Democratic National Convention, they would be called racist. And that would be the right call. That is terrible and that is evil. And the idea that these Americans are so viciously attacked simply for having a different opinion than what the left in this country thinks that they should have, it's its actually quite appalling. And I have to say that it made me very sick to my stomach to see the things that people were saying about these fellow Americans who were out there speaking their opinions and speaking their life experiences and talking about what they've been through and why they believe that things that they believe. Here's a question. What would the headlines have been if there were no black Americans speaking at the RNC? What would the headlines have been? The headlines would have been absolutely attacking the GOP for their lack of diversity. So you see the situation in which the GOP simply cannot win. They cannot win. If they don't have any black people speaking at their convention, they would be attacked for a lack of diversity. And that's fine. But then if they do have black Americans speaking at the convention, several of them, many of them, they are attacked as being used as tokens and as being exploited for Donald Trump to, I guess, make white people feel more comfortable. So when you look at that, it's like, okay, it's a lose-lose situation. And that is where everyday Americans need to focus on our own hypocrisy. It is expected that politicians in this country are going to to attack the people on the other side, no matter what they do. It is expected that politicians are going to be hypocrites. They are going to have different standards for people on their side versus people on the other side. But I feel like it used to be that average everyday Americans kind of saw that for what it was and said, okay, well, that person is just a politician. But now it seems like it is the average everyday American who is participating in that kind of politics as a team sport, where if the opposing party does it, it is bad no matter what it is. And if my party does it, it is good no matter what it is. If you are someone who believes in diversity, if you are someone who values diversity, then you should look at this Republican National Convention and you should say, hey, it's great that they had a lot of diversity among their speakers. I may disagree with the policies. I may disagree with every single word out of the mouth of every single speaker at that convention. But if you are someone who values diversity, then you should applaud them for that. And if you value diversity and you can't applaud them for that, then you really should take a look in the mirror. It is up to us as individuals to take a look at ourselves and look in our hearts and make sure that we are not being 
playing hypocrites. And that is a call for Americans on both the right and left. And that is really a call for us, not just in regards to our politics, but in regards to our life. This is the consequence for Americans going down the path of moral relativism. It is this idea that there is no objective standard. There is no set standard even among ourselves about what is right and what is wrong, what we want and what we don't want, what we believe in and what we don't believe in. There is no set standard. It is just make it up as we go along. And if the person committing the act is someone that we love and care about, is someone who's on quote unquote our side, then everything they do is good and we excuse all of their behavior, even the bad stuff. And if the person is on the other side or if it's someone that we don't like or someone opposite of our politics, then we attack them no matter what they do. And this is absolutely something that people on the right need to be aware of too. This is beyond politics. This is now a character issue. If you find yourself going on social media and putting out racial slurs, you need to examine your own heart. And it doesn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat. Just because you're a Democrat, just because you consider yourself a liberal, just because you maybe support Black Lives Matter, doesn't mean that you going out there and attacking Black Americans with racial slurs because they're Republicans is justified or is acceptable. It's not. And it was really disheartening to see how many Americans felt that it was. Let's make no mistake, racism is alive and well in the Democratic Party. It is absolutely not only on the right side, on the extreme right in the United States. There's plenty of it on the left as well. I also want to talk about Nick Sandman. He is another person who spoke at the convention. So for those who are not familiar with the story of Nick Sandman, last year, I guess it was about a year ago, Nick Sandman was a 17-year-old student who was on some sort of school trip or a field trip or something with other kids in his class. And they were in Washington, D.C. And I believe he was on the steps of the Lincoln Monument when he was approached by a group of people from the group, the Black Hebrew Israelites. And with this group was a Native American elderly gentleman who approached Nick Sandman and started beating a drum in his face and yelling at him loudly. And the only thing that Nick Sandman did to attract their attention was he was wearing a red Make America Great Again hat. So somebody recorded the interaction and they sent it to the media. And the media took the story and absolutely ran with it. They blasted this kid's name and face all over the media. I mean, every news network was carrying it. You had journalists across the country. You had celebrities who were calling this kid racist, calling him all sorts of names, disrespectful and white supremacist and all of these things. Because as this elderly gentleman was beating this drum in his face, he just kind of stood there smiling. And what they said was, quote unquote, smirking. Well, after this windfall. And I remember at the time just thinking like, okay, what what is the viciousness that they are going after this kid? I mean, he's 17 years old. He's not even a legal adult yet. And they're just attacking him so viciously. Um, I remember there were celebrities that were, you know, wanting him to be doxxed and like, where does he live? I mean, it was crazy. And come to find out as the entire video was released, he did not do anything. He did not say anything to these people. He did not instigate them in any way. They approached him. They started beating this drum in his face and yelling at him. And you could tell from the video. And he even said afterwards, his story never changed, that he did not really know what was going on. 
And he just stood there with that look on his face. It was kind of an awkward smile. He stood there with that look on his face just to try to say like, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know what to do right now. So I'm just going to stand here and not say anything and try not to not make this situation worse. So after the full tape came out, people in the media did not apologize. They did not retract. They did not take it back. It kind of just went away. So long story short, Nick Sandman sued multiple media outlets and the lawsuits were quite large. I think he sued CNN for like $250 million or something for defamation. And so far, CNN and I believe the Washington Post have settled with him. And because of non-disclosure agreements, we don't know what the, the dollar amount is that he said they settled for. But they did settle with him. And the reason that I think this story is important, and he did speak at the convention and what his speech was about, was basically the fact that we all need to be aware as Americans that cancel culture is not just for celebrities. It is not just for politicians. It is not just for radio hosts and political pundits. Cancel culture can viciously come after an average American who is a minor and attempt to ruin that person's life from one minute to the next, no matter how innocent you are. If it could happen to Nick Sandman, it could happen to anybody. This was a kid who was simply out in public with a hat supporting his preferred presidential candidate, or at the time, I think he was already president. So it was just a kid with a hat supporting his political opinions. And the media, the, the powerful media in this country did not think twice about ruining this kid's life, ruining his name and his reputation. This could happen to anybody. And it is not just Nick Sandman, okay? I a few weeks ago, or I guess a few months ago, I was talking on this podcast about the fact that I was seeing these news reports from local news affiliates, CNN and ABC and KTLA here in Southern California, where they were actually taking videos of people who were outdoors on hiking trails who were not wearing face masks and somebody recorded them and sent it to the media and the media decided that they were going to blast it all over their news broadcasts, blast it all over social media, shaming this person for not wearing a mask. We see this happening all the time. And this is something that, as Nick Sandman said, Americans need to stand up against this. This is dangerous stuff. There should not be a media in this country that has the power to ruin your life or ruin my life simply because we do something that they disagree with. Wearing a MAGA hat in public is not something that warrants your life being destroyed, especially when they don't even care that the person whose life they're destroying is a 17-year-old minor. This is something that could happen to anybody, and all Americans really need to be aware of it. It is not fear-mongering to say this, because this is something that is actually happening. The attacks, it's interesting, because even after all of this, and even after all the lawsuits, the attack on Nick Sandman continue. Joe Lockhart, who is the former Clinton press secretary, and also a current CNN analyst attacked Nick Sandman on Twitter after his speech, calling him a snot-nosed, entitled kid from Kentucky. This is a man who is like in his 60s. And what is the problem? What is his problem with this kid? This kid was innocent. He was viciously attacked by the media. And he's speaking out about that. And he calls him a snot-nosed, entitled kid from Kentucky. And this is, again, why... It is so stupid to launch into all of these personal attacks about media or about political figures and 
individuals and character assassination because the reality is is that people act badly and people say bad things on both the right and the left. And so this is why in the world of politics, I really wish Americans would get back to just talking about the policies and stop with the character assassinations because the truth is, is that there's crappy people on the left and there's crappy people on the right. Another part of the convention I want to talk about is surrounding the speech that was given by the parents of Kayla Mueller. So Kayla Mueller was a humanitarian worker who was killed by ISIS after being helped captive by them for 18 months. The parents got up and they spoke at the convention and did not have very many nice words to say about President Obama, who was the president during the entire ordeal with their daughter. And in their speech, they indicated that they were supportive of President Trump. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, as you listen to their speech, you cannot help but being moved by it. What these people went through is every parent's worst nightmare. And it was really moving. And so you look at that and it's like, okay, well, how is the media going to attack this one? And the line that we always get when you end up with a speech like this for these parents who've lost their child and who the media really can't attack without looking very bad is they start to criticize it as, oh, the media are exploiting these people's pain. And I remember hearing the same attack line back in the 2016 Republican convention when Donald Trump brought on parents and family members of people who had been murdered by people who were in this country illegally. And I remember the same argument, which was, oh my gosh, look at the GOP, look at Trump. They're exploiting these people and they're exploiting their pain for political gain. That is so disgusting. Okay. I really, really hate this argument. And this is why. First of all, both sides do it. Okay. Let's be real. The Democratic National Convention featured a girl who openly attacked her father for being a Trump supporter and dying of COVID. I mean, her dad died of COVID and she attacked him at this convention because he was a Trump supporter. So let's not pretend for even one second that the Democrats don't do this. They regularly bring on parents and family members of black Americans who have been shot and killed in interactions with police and they bring them on to speak. So let's stop pretending that only the Republicans take people who are grieving, take people who have lost loved ones and bring them to speak at the convention. But the second reason why this argument really bothers me is because it takes away the agency of the people who are speaking. Just because somebody is grieving doesn't mean that they are foolish. It doesn't mean that they are too stupid to understand that they are being used. Just because somebody is grieving doesn't mean that their words don't matter. And it doesn't mean that they don't know perfectly well what they are doing and what they are saying. I am all for giving people their full agency. I hate every argument in, in no matter what situation that we are talking about, that suggests that people don't really know what is good for themselves, that people are too foolish, too brainwashed, too uninformed to make their own decisions for their own lives. I, I really don't like though any of those arguments. I believe in giving people agency over themselves and over their own lives. And so I'm just not a fan of the whole exploiting people's pain argument. I think that people are perfectly able to get up there and speak and understand what they are doing. Now, you don't have to agree with this person just because they are someone who's gone through pain. I remember during, after the Parkland shooting when all of those teenagers were getting up and talking about gun control. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I feel really bad for these kids and what they went through. It was traumatic. It was horrible. I would not wish that experience on anybody. 
But I can say that just because they went through this experience, just because they're grieving, just because they went through a trauma, doesn't mean I have to agree with their policy proposals for our country. And so I feel like we should be able as viewers and as listeners to look at people and say, hey, we can be empathetic. We can be compassionate to people. We can listen to what they have to say. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But I just don't think that we should be attacking them as being too foolish to, you know, or being duped into being used by a police political party. Okay, so the RNC did focus heavily on the riots. And this whole thing, the way it's developing, has been really interesting and quite honestly has been really frustrating to watch. I've talked on the show a lot about the gaslighting that is being done by the media. I don't, every time I think that it can't get worse, it does. So the DNC did not mention the riots one time, not one single time during their entire convention. And since the time of that convention, we've had even more riots. Now we have a situation in Kenosha where we are seeing another officer involved shooting and more riots and looting and burning down of businesses and murder. I mean, people are actually getting killed. And so it's really interesting because now it seems that Democrats are being for feeling forced to actually address this issue. So everyone, I think, probably heard the clip of Don Lemon to Chris Cuomo, where he said, you know, he acknowledged that, OK, Biden should really address it because we are now seeing this show up in polls and show up in focus groups that voters are seeing what's going on. They see the riots and they're really not happy with the fact that Democrats have enabled them, have justified them, and in some cases have just simply ignored them. So the Democrats now feel forced to address it. And their new talking point is that since Trump is president, it's his fault that, okay, hey, he's the president and this is happening in his America and therefore it is his fault. And the truth is, is that it's a, it's, on a political level, it's probably the smartest argument that they can make because there are a lot of Americans that hate Trump so much and they are perfectly willing to grasp onto anything that they can say blames him. And it's to say, hey, you know, he is the president of the United States and this is happening on his watch. That is a, an argument that could be politically feasible. There's only a few problems with this argument. The rioters are Democratic rioters. Okay, and this is not just trying to play politics with it. I mean, this is a fact. Black Lives Matter is not a right wing organization. Antifa, for all of the talk about that Antifa is a myth. I mean, it's kind of like, are, are you kidding me? Like Antifa is a myth, like Antifa is a group. And they are violent and they are, despite their name, they are fascists. They believe in violently attacking anybody who disagrees with them. So you have Black Lives Matter, you have Antifa causing the vast, vast majority of the damage. You have the vast majority of these riots taking place in Democratic-led cities. Okay, so it's Seattle. Portland, New York, um, in cities throughout Minnesota. These are Democrat-run cities. You, you simply cannot get away from that fact. And what's fascinating is, is that the leaders of those cities, the mayors of those cities have consistently refused help from the federal government. They, Trump has offered them National Guard. He has pleaded with them in some cases to let him send in the National Guard to deal with these situations, and they have adamantly refused to do so. And now that these situations are, you know, getting out of control, now they're like, oh, well, it's Trump's fault. Okay, Trump can't send in the National Guard without the cities and the states requesting 
contesting it. When Trump did send in federal agents to Portland, which he was legally able to do because they were guarding federal property, when he did that, they called him a fascist. They accused him of being a fascist. And now they're attacking him and saying, well, this is all his fault. How? I just simply don't see it. And this is also, I think, one of the differences between the left and the right at this point is on the left, there's so many vagaries, right? It's like, oh, well, this is Trump's fault because he's created a divisive atmosphere in the country. And but really on the right, the argument is, okay, who are the ones actually committing the violence? Leftists who are and and it's not liberals. It's not ever average, everyday liberal Americans. Okay. These are radicals. These are the fringe elements. Okay. It's like you have the alt-right on the right, which is the radical fringe and a, and a very small percentage of the right. And you have the Antifa BLM, which is the radical left and probably a very small percentage of the left, even though they have a really large voice, but that's who they are. These are in, these are democratic cities. And again, they have to request the National Guard. They have to request it. And they have not just not requested it. They have adamantly denied it. The Portland mayor adamantly told Trump, we don't need it and we don't want it. And yet they turn around and they blame Trump. You have Democratic politicians and media figures who over the last three months have encouraged the violence. They have justified it. And it's so interesting because they always accuse Republicans of conflating the rioters with the protesters. But here's the reality. It is actually the left that are conflating the rioters and the protesters. And I will tell you why. Because they refuse to condemn the rioters. When people on the right condemn the riots, the left gets mad. And they say, oh, you're just, look at you trying to conflate protester, peaceful protesters with rioters. You're just trying to conflate this and make it sound like, you know, it's just that these people who are practicing their First Amendment rights peacefully, that they're burning down the country. No, there are rioters and there are peaceful protesters. We don't have a problem with the peaceful protesters, even if we disagree with their conclusions. We have a problem with the rioters. But the left has consistently refused to condemn the riots. Joe Biden spoke today in a speech and he condemned the violence in Portland and then called on Trump to do the same. I'm sorry, but Donald Trump has been condemning the violence. That is just a fact. He has been consistently condemning the violence. He has been asking the Portland mayor to let him send help. And they are the ones not doing it. So I think that blaming Trump for these Uh, riots and this violence is gaslighting like nothing I've ever seen before. And the truth is, is that I think that the American people are seeing through it. And the Democrats know that the the polls are tightening. And this is why you have, again, people like Don Lemon, who are all of a sudden saying, "Uh, wait a minute, we have to sound the alarm on this. What's really kind of disheartening is the fact that these people Okay, and again, I'm not talking about average liberal, you know, Americans who maybe are condemning the violence. I'm talking about the people with the voices. These people have consistently ignored it. Okay, this is like the big joke on the right, like the mostly peaceful protests, right? I mean, they're actually making memes about it at this point, where it's like, you know, Pearl Harbor, according to CNN, is a mostly peaceful flyover. It's it's a joke at this point because it's so ridiculous when you have these reporters standing in front of burning buildings and people shooting each other saying, well, it's a mostly peaceful protest. I think that people see this and people see what is actually happening in the country. And and I think that, you know, again, the Democrats realize this. But all of these media figures, all of these politicians that all of a sudden are speaking up about it, like, let's stop and think about it for a minute. This has been going on for three months. Republicans have been talking about this for three months and Democrats have been silent about it. And now they're talking about it because the polls are showing it. 
that's what Don Lemon said. The polls are showing it. And so they need to address it. So they are not wanting to address it because of the violence. They are not wanting to address it because people have actually been murdered in these riots or because hundreds of police officers across the country have been injured or because hundreds of businesses of innocent Americans, including many black Americans, have been burned to the ground and destroyed. They didn't want to address it for those reasons. They are addressing it and they want to address it because they're seeing it in the polls. Now, I know to a certain extent, okay, that's politics, but we as average Americans really should look at that because that is very telling. When we as human beings, okay, with any sense of just decency in our hearts should be able to stand up and say, okay, you can address your grievances, you can peacefully protest, you can, you know, vote, you can run for office, you can make policy proposals, there's a lot of things you can do, but you cannot get violent. That is something that should be universal. Everyone should be able to agree on that. But there's just a lot of people who haven't. I'm sorry. It is the reality. And it is something that even on this podcast, I have been talking about for several weeks. Conservatives have been talking about this for several weeks. And here's the thing. Here's how you know that it's all BS. Here's how you know that the Democrat line of blaming Trump is all BS. Because if they really, truly believed that this was Trump's fault, they would have talked about it nonstop at the Democratic convention. And they didn't. Not a word. Another new talking point that I've seen on the left that I have to say I find extraordinarily intellectually dishonest is this talking point of blaming Trump for the economic crash, blaming Trump for, you know, the, the, the talking point is Trump inherited this great economy under Obama and he destroyed it. That is factually inaccurate. That is just simply not true. The economy was booming under Trump. Unemployment rate was at like 50, 60 year lows unemployment rates for women and Hispanics and Asian Americans and black Americans were at all time lows and they had never been lower than what they were. The stock market was doing great. The housing market was doing great. Okay. The economy was doing really well. And the reason why the economy crashed was because of the COVID lockdowns. That's just the way it is. Now, if you want to criticize Trump's handling of COVID and say, okay, he didn't handle that right. And that's why. But I just don't think that that argument holds water because the truth is, is that when you look all over the world, COVID numbers only stay low while countries and states and cities are locked down. The minute that those lockdowns start to lift in the vast majority of places, the cases start to go up. Italy had been locked down for the longest and had one of the strictest lockdowns. They started to open up their society. Their cases are starting to go up. France's cases are starting to go up. New York is still locked down. That is something that I think a lot of people are not aware of is that there really is no plan in New York to open up indoor dining. For example, there's major parts of New York City and the state of New York that are still shut down. And so we have to recognize, I think, that the people who are calling for the strict, more strict lockdowns are the Democrats, not the Republicans. And it is the strict lockdowns that are causing the economic downturn. Now, you might agree with that. You might be someone who says, hey, I think that we should stay locked down forever, I guess. Um, I, th I think that we should keep the economy closed in order to stop the spread of COVID. And if that's the case, that's fine. But I just don't think that it is logically consistent to say, well, it's Trump's fault for the economy. It's Trump's fault for the economic 
crash because Democrats are the ones that are actually pushing forward on the notion that thing, society should stay locked down. I live in California. Believe me, I know our governor is keeping us locked down. Orange County just got taken off the quote unquote watch list and the governor changed the entire system to now this color coded system and Orange County is back on the worst rating. So and then and you even have Joe Biden himself who came out and openly said that if he is elected president and we have another wave of COVID cases, he would not be opposed to shutting, issuing a national shutdown. He would shut down the economy of the entire country. So again, maybe if you're someone who's very concerned about COVID and you support that, that's one thing. But you cannot say that and then also blame Trump for the economy. You, you just can't. It is Democrats that are driving the indefinite lockdown way of dealing with coronavirus. And so and that is really what's causing the economic downturn. So you can't I just don't think that that's logically consistent to attack Trump on the economy. So those were just some of the most important things that I wanted to talk about in regards to my viewing of the convention. There was so much else that happened. There was a nun who spoke who spoke about abortion and she was she had served in the military and she was a surgeon and she was super impressive. And that was a really good speech. There were a lot of really good speeches, I thought. I'm not going to pretend to be unbiased, obviously. It's a Republican convention. The policies and what was discussed is stuff that I believe in and that I agree with. So I'm definitely biased in that way. But I just want to say that back in 2016, I did not actually vote for Donald Trump. I did not vote at the top of the ticket for the first time in my life because I felt that neither candidate had earned my vote. I did not trust Donald Trump to be a good president. I did not trust him to rule as a conservative. I thought that at heart, he's a New York liberal and I just didn't feel that he was a good choice. But now I feel like so much has changed and the left in this country has just gone so radical that I really don't feel like I have any other choice. I like my safe neighborhoods. I do like law and order. I know that there's a lot of controversy and about people voting for law and order and they say, oh, it's just a tactic that Trump is using and it's fear mongering. I don't think it's fear mongering when you actually see videos of this stuff happening. I like my safe neighborhoods. I like being able to take my kids for a walk around the block without having to worry about it. Back in June, my city was on a 6 p.m. curfew for five days because of violent protests and riots that were happening across the country that they were concerned were going to happen here. Luckily, they didn't. But what happened in Kenosha could happen anywhere. And I like my police department. I want them to be funded because I believe that that is what keeps my city safe. I vehemently do not believe in socialism. I don't believe in redistribution of wealth. I think that the democratic plans are going to bankrupt America. I, in my last episode, talked, went through some of the democratic policies and why I disagree with them, why I don't think that they make sense, why I don't think that they are a good direction for the country to go in. And and so even though there are plenty of things about Donald Trump that I have criticisms on that I on a, especially like on a personal level, I think that there's plenty to disagree with him about. But at the end of the day, you ha I think we all have to look at why do we vote for politicians? He is not my moral leader. He is not my father. He is not my friend. He is a politician. And at this point, I think that looking at what the Democrats are presenting to America and what the Republicans are presenting to America, personally, I just, I don't see any other choice but to vote for Donald Trump. And so that is what I am going to be doing. And
And again, I'm not claiming to be unbiased. Obviously, I believe in conservative viewpoints, but I just think that we really are. I know it's a phrase that's overused, but we really are at a crossroads at this point. And while I would love to see a healthy debate among people who are on the right and people who are on the left in America, that's just simply not happening right now. And I, I don't blame Trump for that. I'm sorry. I think that a lot of the division comes from the media and their biased reporting. I think that a lot of the division right now is being driven by democratic politicians and democratic cities because it's politically expedient for them. And I have a major problem with that. So those are just some of my personal opinions and thoughts. Obviously, a lot of people are going to disagree with that. And that should be okay. This is the United States of America. And we should be able to disagree and still respect each other. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJAnAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'mJustAnAmerican.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I'mJustAnAmerican. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to recap the Republican National Convention. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of Just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3